I know most of you have been here, but there's some who I haven't seen before. So just to update you on where we are and where we're going and what we're trying to do here. Uh, two weeks ago, I gave an intro to a series that we're starting. I think it's back up there. It's called Gospel or Foundations of the Gospel. We talked about why we need to know the gospel, not just for justification, but for sanctification. Why, when we dig in to the roots, to the depths, to special things in the gospel, and we, we dig deeper, how we grow in love and understanding of Christ. And so that's what we've been trying to do. Two weeks ago we did that. Last week Andy taught on the holiness of God. The gospel starts with God. It does not start with man. It starts with God. And a great place to start with God is that He is holy. In fact, that is what the angels crowd in heaven. Is it not holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. And they cry that out for all of eternity. And they never get tired of it. What a beautiful thing. So that's what we talked about last week. This week we're going to talk about God's justice and His righteousness in light of or in view of the gospel. So what an immense subject. What a huge subject, certainly something that we couldn't cover in one night. Andy and I were just talking today, and we decided that we could spend all semester, all year, all life on God's character, and maybe we should, I don't know, but, but uh, we're going to talk about the holiness and, or excuse me, the righteousness and, and justice of Almighty God tonight. Let me let, let me let you in on a little secret. Uh, my life, when I study for these things, each week that I study and begin to look and, and dig in, I think this has got to be the most important thing that I've ever studied. <laughs> and I feel that every week when I study a new thing. I think, wow, this is, this is rich, this is deeper, and this has got to be, or in this case, this has got to be the most important thing about God. Really, I've begun, I, I think that's so wrong, but I've begun to realize that there's a sense in which that's true. And not because of the subject, or not because of the peripherals, but because of the subject. Every week when we gather here to study God's Word, it's of monumental, monumental importance. What a privilege to gather. What a special thing. I just, If you've never been any other place, maybe you don't understand, but I hope you can what a privilege it is to be here tonight with you all. Uh, it just is. I noticed this last week when I was in Israel. Uh, it's about, I think it's about four in the morning on the clock that I'm on right now. And I just, man, there's no place I'd rather be. And I miss this so much. And it's such a privilege. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is paramount. It's so, so, so important. Why? Not because I'm talking about it, but because God spends so much time on it. He spends so much time talking about himself. If anyone else were to talk about themselves as much as God does, it would be absolutely arrogant. But God talks and he brags and he boasts in himself. Why? Because he is able and it is best that he would do so. Because he will get more glory. And it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to read about. It's wonderful to study. The story is no different tonight. This is the lesson and it, it's, it's paramount as we launch into the gospel, as we go deeper into the gospel, that we understand these things. I find it difficult. Here's another thing. I find it difficult as I teach not to focus solely on the application or how things affect me, uh, myself, my peers when I study them, to hone in solely on that. Surely that's important. It, it, it is important. So often we miss application, but if we just focus on application, I think we miss something else. 
if there is no you, me, or anyone else in this world, what we're going to talk about tonight would still be just as true. If I spoke to no one, if no one showed up here tonight and I proclaimed these truths, they would be no less true than if everyone was here tonight. Matter of fact, if God never even created us, these things would be equally true. In fact, because God is immutable or unchangeable, even as we sang about, it really makes no difference whether we're here or not. He was just as perfectly just, holy, and righteous before he even created us. Does that make sense to you? Perhaps it's unfair to work in such a strong frame of thought because God did create us. The fact is, he's not alone. He did create us. But I want tonight not for you to get lost in just the application of what we're going to talk about. I'll cover that, but I'll wait until next week to cover that more. Tonight, get lost in the immensity and the spectacular study and wonder of who God is. Not who yourself is, not even who you are in relation to God, but just who God is. Tonight's not about you and I. It's about God. We'll get to you and I later. It'd be wrong just to say there's no application, but tonight's about God. Uh, I was listening to the message last week. I know you guys talked about A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. I want to read to you a couple more things out of that. Tozer uses such strong language to convey the importance of our understanding of God. He says this, listen, Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Did you catch that? In other words, if I knew for certainty and incompletion what some of you in here were tonight thought, believed, knew about God, understood about God, I might predict accurately the spiritual future of you. That's what Tozer says. goes on to say this, Without doubt, the mightiest thought that the mind can entertain is the thought of God. The weightiest word in any language is its word for God. And the last phrase I want to talk about that Tozer says is, is the frame which for work the framework for what we have to work out of tonight. Um, He spends paragraphs and paragraphs, and this is kind of his thesis, or at least I think it is, his plea for a depth of knowledge in Christ. He says, low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Let me state what he said in the positive. Here's my thesis. Before we even get started, before I even go into more content, here's where I'm going tonight, just so you know. High views of God, specifically tonight, His holiness, His justice, His righteousness, beautify and allow all to glory in the gospel for any who hold to them. High views of God, specifically tonight, His holiness, justice, and righteousness, beautify and allow all to glory in the gospel for any who hold them. Appreciating the character of God is paramount to understanding and growing and loving and being sanctified by the gospel. Until we get God, you'll not grow in appreciation. You'll not grow in depth of the gospel. In other words, if you don't get God, you don't get the life-giving plan that he authored. Your view of the gospel will be simple, truncated, and dry. It'll be dry. And I've seen this. People that have low views of God have low views of the gospel. They have low views of Christ. And so I beg that you join with me tonight in peering into God's justice and righteousness. 
Let me say what I just said again in a positive fashion. If you become, to come to terms with the biblical view of God, if you become, if you come to terms with the Lord of the universe, who He is, what He is, what He says about Himself, your view of the gospel will be expanded, precious, and full. The gospel must start here. It'd be impossible in 20 minutes to do justice to this. Uh, to be explained God in any manner in which he ought to be explained, and yet we must try. I've noticed that as I try to explain God, one of the biggest frustrations, I think, for any teacher is words. There's just not words. They just don't work. They're not accurate enough. They're not big enough. They're not full enough. They're not complete enough to talk about God in the way in which he ought to be talked about. Ezekiel. You think of Ezekiel and what he says. He stumbles all over himself, and Isaiah falls as a dead man, and and Peter, even before the pre-incarnate Christ, he falls down before him. And, and everyone's a mess. And who can forget, of course, John's revelation of the fiery Christ in Revelation. There's so many likes and likenesses of his people try and talk about God in Scripture because he's not exactly like anything. That is to say, he's not exactly comparable to anything or anyone except, of course, himself. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 89.14 Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The words righteousness and justice are used almost interchangeably in Scripture and correspond to the same word in the original text. Sometimes it almost seems as the wind of the translator to, to translate them. They're used often in the same way, but Psalms 89 uh, Verse 14 uses them both. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. These are the very bedrock on which God's throne is established. The throne where he does all his judging. It's foundation and established with a strong base of parallel characters of righteousness and justice. Whatever God says goes. Whatever. Whatever he says is perfectly right. Why? Because he's righteous. Whatever he rules is perfectly just. Why? Because he is justice. Whatever he decrees is entirely good and fair. Everything he says is entirely true and worthy of being proclaimed. God doesn't know how to be unjust. You realize that? God can't be unjust. He's never been unjust. He'll never be unjust. Sometimes people ask if there's anything God cannot do. There is. God cannot and will not violate his character. He's unable to. He's unwilling to. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. I think it's Titus 1.6 says God will not lie. The moment God were to become less than the perfect expression of justice and righteousness, he'd cease to be God. Do you see that? God can't be less righteous than he is because he wouldn't be God anymore. He can't be less just or fair than he is because he would cease to be God the moment that he was. His character is interwoven and each attribute builds on each other. You can't divorce justice and righteousness. You can't divorce love and mercy. You can't part and parcel out God. And I hope we're not trying to do that too much tonight, but each of these things builds on one another. Isaiah 5.16 But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Do you see that? God shows himself holy. How does he do that? By his righteousness. Each attribute builds on and complements 
each other. Another attribute of God critical to understanding the rest of his character is, as I mentioned before, his immutability. That is to say, God can't change. He does not change. He does not grow, evolve, or improve. Because if he did, he wouldn't be God. He's already perfect. So if he was to improve, it would be to say that he wasn't perfect before he improved. Or if he became less perfect, obviously he wouldn't be perfectly just or perfectly holy or any of those things. God cannot change. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is important to remember in light of God because he has never been more just and fully right than he is now. He has never been more or less so, and he will not be in the future. Psalms 19 Verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Read what the ESV says, your righteousness is righteous forever. His righteousness will never cease to be righteous, and his righteousness will never be more or less righteous than it is right now. Your law is true. This is hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? We just... It's hard to think in these terms. It's almost frustrating as I try to explain and wrap my head around God. I think it's beautiful that we can't entirely. Man's self-imposed laws, our justice system changes all the time. There's always amendments going on. There's always things being added or changed or dealt with and things are being voted on. But God's law never changed. Why doesn't it change? Because if it did change, it wouldn't have been perfect before. It can't be improved upon. God's law is a perfect reflection of His character. It's not just law. It's not just rules. God's law is a reflection of His character. And so God's law will never change. God's law is true. I was at the uh, the county courthouse a while back, a few weeks ago. I think it was three weeks ago and I was there. And a uh, long set of circumstances led me there. But we were there uh, to pray for a guy. And, and he, all he was supposed to do was go in and get sentenced. I think this was the third or fourth hearing. And, and he was supposed to go in, stand before the judge, and the judge was supposed to say, this is how it is. So we prayed for him. We went in. And it was a pretty serious thing. In fact, this guy could have ended up in jail for life. This wasn't just a, what we would call a minor thing. But he was accompanied by his lawyer, and then there was a lawyer for the state. There's no prosecuting attorney except for that one has to be present on behalf of the state to enforce rules, to plead the case. And uh, the gentleman who was representing him as a lawyer began to stammer and stutter when the judge probed a little bit deeper. And he wasn't doing well, and it wasn't looking good for this young man at all. And the judge began to probe and probe and probe, and it, soon it began to see that his case was crumbling. And, and without even any help from the prosecuting attorney, things looked pretty poor. And then the strangest thing happened. The prosecuting attorney could see that there was a violation of rules. The judge had misunderstood something, so he's trying to apply something on a faulty premise. So on behalf of the state, she speaks up and she says... Uh, Actually, here's how this is. Now, the judge is supposed to know everything that's going on. But she speaks up, and then she asks for a timeout. She has to go in the hall with the other lawyer and talk about things. 
Why? So she can remind him and help him understand where he's coming from in his case. It was the wackiest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. And so they walk out, and then they come back in, and she says, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to explain what he means. <laughs> and uh, she goes, sorry for t- stepping on your toes. He goes, no, it's, it's okay. Step on my toes. <laughs> it's kind of a pitiful display. But anyway, <clears throat> she laid down the law. She said, actually, based on this court case and this and this and this, and she went through it and she laid out why he could be accused and why he couldn't be accused. It was the weirdest thing. The prosecuting attorney stopped and set things straight. Justice had been served at least by the world standards. See, we don't really have anything for holiness. We can't really say... God is just like this, but with justice, the closest thing we can get is a court case. See, God is judge. He's a just judge. He's a good judge. He's the best judge there ever was. Now understand that if God was the judge and God is the judge, there's no wavering or indecisiveness with God. He doesn't forget penalties or mistake terms of punishment like the human judge. Often I see something I wish I wouldn't have. In fact, even today, I had to call one of my roommates and apologize for something that I'd said. So often I say, <clears throat> I wish I wouldn't have said that, or I wish I'd say that a different way. That's exactly how that judge felt. He felt a little bit humiliated. Guess what? God never does that. Do you see that? God never says, wow, I wish I would have done it this way, or I wish I would have decreed it this way, or I wish I'd have made this law this way. No, because God is perfect, and He's perfectly just, and He's perfectly righteous. And so when He's judging, He doesn't go, okay, I need a time out for the eternity, or for the attorneys. <clears throat> he not only knows the facts, but He discerns them perfectly. He interprets them with perfect accuracy. God possesses perfect knowledge, so His judgment isn't hindered by lawyers or by a lack of evidence or by clever arguments set forth by humans. To say it another way, there's never any difference between God's knowledge and reality. Are you tracking with me? There's never any difference between what God knows and what happens. Let me tell you what would have happened if God was judge in the court case. And He was and is. God wouldn't have known before the foundations of the earth what would happen. And he has a special law. And a violation of that law demands what? Paul says in Romans, death. And unless there was an intercessor there, that's exactly what that man deserved. That's exactly what all of us deserve. God decreed it, and it was. When God is judged, there's no wavering. Often people say, uh, <clears throat> if you were to stand before God on that last day, why would you tell him what, what would you tell him to get into heaven? And I, I got to tell you, I just think it's a baloney question. And I don't see it in the Word. Your tongue's going to be stopped. There's nothing that you're going to be able to say. He is just, and so His law will already be established. And at the great white throne, when He judges, all sinners of all time, no one will say, well, that's not really fair. See, it is fair. Because God is fair. God's righteousness and justice, <clears throat> as His other attributes, are ex- intrinsic or inherent. 
That is to say, they are inward, essential, or belonging to his nature. I take great comfort in knowing that God always acts in a way that is perfectly consistent with his nature. Were God not fair, righteous, or to say it another way, good, it would be absolutely terrifying. God is all-powerful and He is able to do whatever He wants. And if He were not good, if He were not just, if He were not fair and perfectly righteous, it would be absolutely terrifying. A monster of sorts. Imagine someone who could do anything that they wanted, who had all power and yet was not righteous. He would be a monster. And yet because God is omnipotent and yet He is good, is the best news that we could receive. I've given you enough of my simple and trite thoughts, so let me read what the inspired writers have to say about God, or what God inspired the writers to say about Himself. Psalms 7.9 Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O oh righteous God. Isaiah 30, verse 18 Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Deuteronomy 32.4 The rock, the bedrock, the stable rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of justice and without unrighteousness. Righteous and upright is he. Job 36.23 Who has prescribed for him his way and who can say you have done wrong? You remember the battle in Job. Who's able to say, God, you're wrong? No one. Your mouth will be stopped. The answer is obvious. Who's able to say God's wrong? No one. No one. Acts 17.31 Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man he has appointed. God has fixed a day. I don't know that day, neither do you, but He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. Psalms 36.6 Your righteousness is like the mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. Psalms 89.14 Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. The very throne which God sits upon is based with justice and righteousness. So let me say it again. High views of God, specifically here, His holiness, His justice, His righteousness, beautify and allow one to glory in the gospel for all who hold them. Do you have a high view of God? What a wonderful Lord we serve. I invite you to learn more about Him as we dig into some of the tools and lists that we have around you and to look up more verses on God's justice and righteousness and in His character. <clears throat> Let me say it again. Appreciating the character of God is paramount, is of utmost importance to understanding, loving, growing, and being sanctified in the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope we can grow in that tonight. I hope we can come to understand, even to scratch the surface of God's perfect character. What a wonderful Lord we serve. Let's pray. Lord, you say for your own sake, for your own sake, you will act. You will do it. And how could your name be profaned? You will not give your glory to another. 
Lord, get glory for Yourself even as we study, even as we sit down to go over verses. Lord, I know and realize immediately I've done a pitiful job of talking about the Lord and the King of the universe. But as Your Scripture goes forth, as Your Word goes forth, Lord, we trust that it will not return void. God, You show Yourself holy in Your righteousness. Would You establish in our minds and our hearts and our souls Your perfect character. Lord, would we grow in depth and understanding of You. Would we come to love You and worship You better. Learning not for the sake of learning, but learning for the sake of worship. Learning for the sake of obedience. Lord, help us to worship You well. Help us to come back to the heart of worship, Lord. We want it to be all about You. Thank You, Father. Thank You for what You've told us about Your character, about Your perfect justice, Your righteousness, Your holiness, and Your great mercy and love for Your children. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.